Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My guest today is Chris McKee. Chris is the founder and managing partner of Venturity, an outsourced accounting firm, which he founded in 2001. Prior to that, he was a consultant and interim CFO at various Dallas-Fort Worth firms. He jumped into his own business because he saw a real opportunity primarily to grow and develop people, and that's become his passion. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate the opportunity. I've listened to several of these uh, these podcasts and so kind of long-time listener, first-time <laughs> So, no, I, I really am honored to have the opportunity. Well, it's uh, great to have you on. And uh, what I'm uh, excited to start with is just this story that you told me that uh, back in high school where you were one of these guys that um, – uh, had a dream of being a, an accountant, had a dream of sitting in a cubicle doing bank re- reconciliations, which, you know, to many of us wouldn't sound all that exciting. Um, and you followed that dream initially and in, in, into the accounting world and uh, public accounting, all of that, you know, more traditional path, but ended up at some point uh, deciding to go your own way. So just excited to get get in, involved in that. But first for everybody, why don't you just talk about today what, what Venturity does, and then we'll, we'll kind of step back into the history a bit. Yeah, yeah. So we do outsourced accounting for primarily small businesses, typically under $20 million in revenue that might otherwise have maybe one person or a part-time person on staff. And it just it makes more sense in many of those cases for them to just outsource their accounting because it's often hard when you just have one accounting person to attract train and retain and have a have a great career path for for someone in that role when they're sort of the lone accountant and so it, we really allow businesses to focus on their core competencies of, of whatever they're in business to do and we uh, really take care of the accounting on a day-to-day basis so we really handle just really anything that a normal accounting department would handle at a company accounts payable accounts receivable closing the books financials we really become the accounting department for our clients and um and that's how we like to have an impact. Got it. And uh, at what point did you decide uh, to to really go go your own way and start this business? Because it sounds like you were doing this kind of work for companies a little bit on your own prior to that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. So you know, looking a little bit back on my career, you're right. I I uh, uh, took an accounting class my junior year of high school. And it just really came easily to me. It uh, uh, it was something that I thought, man, if I can make a living doing this, this would be this would be great. In fact, I I had a choice to take chemistry or accounting, and I thought, well, accounting seems more practical, which is kind of my personality. And uh, I took accounting and, and loved it right away. So much so that the summer between my junior and senior year, I bought the textbook that our senior accounting class would have, and I did like half the read half the book. So, I mean, it was, it was something that was kind of crazily enough in me from the beginning. And I thought to myself, I, you know, I, if, if I can just sit and do this all day and I can make a living doing it, it would be great. And, um, you know, a flash forward, I, uh, got my accounting degree and went to work for a, a large accounting firm 
and then um, eventually went to work in what they call industry doing accounting uh, for various companies. And, you know, I really um, found that I enjoyed both of those experiences. The the public accounting experience I enjoy. They have a very clearly articulated career path, and there's a lot of investment in um, learning and growing, uh, a lot of training that you get, um, and the variety of clients that you get to work on. It's really just an amazing place to learn, and so it was a great place to start my career. And then uh, as I transitioned into industry, what I, as, I, as I moved through my career in public accounting, I realized I really liked uh, getting hands-on with accounting. And so rather than being an auditor, I kind of transitioned into industry and worked for several different companies in their accounting department, really learning to kind of do the day-to-day accounting, which you don't learn as much in public accounting. And the thing that I enjoyed about that was was really being a lot more hands-on and you can kind of have, have more of an impact. Um, and, um, but you didn't necessarily have, unless you're at a larger company, a more clearly articulated career path. So, um, the last company I was with in 99 didn't get their next round of funding. So I kind of found myself out on my own and I, I, I was, I was, um, uh, while looking for a permanent, uh, opportunity, I just, I was working with a lot of smaller businesses that were really struggling to get their accounting done. And, um, because of this need, uh, uh, the trouble of finding a good accounting person and kind of retaining them in a small company environment, um, I was going in and cleaning up a lot of accounting messes and then I'd turn it back over to them and they would have to come back six months later and clean it up again. And the more I talked to them about it, uh, the more I realized there might be this opportunity to help clients with their accounting on an outsource basis and really just solve this, this problem for them. And, um, you know, if I could hire some people to do that, maybe we could we could actually have a business there. And, and, you know, that seemed like a compelling business model. It certainly seemed like there was a need in the marketplace. And they tell you if you're going to start a business that uh, you got to have a, there's got to be a need that you're, that you're going to fulfill. But I think for me, the thing that as I thought more about it, I thought, you know, um, if, if I can do this and make it work and I can talk clients into outsourcing their accounting to us, I can hire people um, in to do this accounting and I can sort of put together a larger accounting department, if you will, and, and establish that clearly articulated career path that in industry, a lot of people really lack. And, and we can, I can do a lot of the things that I learned kind of from my public accounting days. And I thought we could bring people in at an entry level and really grow them up through the organization into staff accountants to controllers, to persistent controllers, to controllers and beyond. And that was really the thing that convinced me to start the business. I thought, not only do I have, is there a need in the marketplace, but for me, I love kind of the teaching aspect of what we do. And I love, I love to see people grow and and help them grow. And it was just really core to who I was. And so that was where I saw the the real opportunity. And that's what really compelled me because again, I, I really just wanted to sit in a cubicle and do bank reconciliations, but the more I looked at it, the more I saw this opportunity to, to grow something that might be, that might be just really special. And, and I'll say very fortunately, uh, as I look forward, um, from there 16 years later now, I've just been very, very fortunate that we've had some clients that trust us, um, and more and more over the years. And I've been very lucky with the team members that have signed on with us for the journey, 
Um, and we've been able to develop a lot of folks over the years exactly as I had hoped, bring people in even at a clerical level and, and, and growing them up through the organization. In fact, we had somebody who didn't even have an accounting degree and came in as a, as a clerical person for us and just a data entry person. And um, over the years, she, she was actually our second employee and has grown into uh, uh, first a staff accountant and then an assistant controller and, and then has gone back and gotten her accounting degree and became a controller in our organization and is now uh, really looking to be our director of training going forward and taking over. She's, she has kind of learned this passion for growth and lifelong learning and has, has really grown into our uh, person who's going to be our director of training long term. So just it, it's been a really, really rewarding journey, very, but, but mostly it's been one of just um, that I consider myself very fortunate with the folks that have signed on with us and the clients that we that have partnered with us over the years. Well, what's really interesting is just to see this transition really in you from someone who would have been perfectly happy or seemed to be happy uh, just making money doing basic accounting work and transition to where what's fulfilling for you today and has been since you started your own business is this idea of developing people and uh, the fulfillment that comes with that. What I'd like to explore really like where that came from. I remember um, your dad worked for GE for a long time. You uh, learned lessons from your grandfather. Where does some of this uh, kind of, whether it's worth work ethic or not entrepreneurial spirit come from? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's funny. I certainly work ethic has been in my family background. My dad, while he wasn't an entrepreneur, worked extremely hard, traveled extensively, um, and really, my parents sacrificed a lot to um, you know, make sure that uh, my sister and I had access to the best educational opportunities. And uh, so, I, you know, I got a lot of, of work ethic from my father. And then my grandfather on my mom's side, um, he was really the only uh, entrepreneur in the family. And he owned a, a lumberyard in Memphis where I grew up. And um, early on, I guess when I was about eight, we started going fishing together. He had a, a membership at a, a fishing lodge, if you will, over on a lake over in Arkansas. And he used to take me several, oh, well, several times a, a summer. Uh, and it was just kind of spending time with him. Uh, and I, I hear some of the things that he was talking about um, with his friends about what was going on in his business. And then as I got older into high school, we'd talk more about it. And I, I tell you, just at the end of the day, uh, sitting on the porch, just talking about some of those things, I learned an amazing amount. Um, you know, a couple of stories from that in particular. Um, he, um, so he, he had a lumber yard, small lumber yard, um, in Memphis, and he had probably a dozen guys out in the yard working and it was a, a tough part of town in Memphis. And, and these were really some of the, um, some of the most, uh, I guess just hardworking folks, but, but, but low wages and, and not a lot of upward mobility opportunity for a, a lot of these folks, uh, because of the neighbor, the way they've grown up and, and, um, not, not well educated. And I remember my grandfather talking about putting a 401k in place for them when 401ks originally came around. And he said, you know, I see them 
just living paycheck to paycheck. And I know that none of them have anything saved for the future or for their retirement. And I found out about this 401k thing and it seems like a good deal. And if they can put some money in, we'll, we'll match and I'll probably put some money in for the ones that don't have it. And, and so, you know, it was just a, a really, I thought it was amazing uh, that he, and it's a very small business, probably $2 million business was really going out of his way to try and provide for these guys and gals future that didn't have uh, really much hope for a, for a retirement. And uh, so I, I learned a real sense of stewardship from him as well. Um, and so just a lot of, a lot of lessons, I think from, uh, from fishing with my grandfather and, and knew that he worked very hard, but also that he, um, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't always about, uh, uh, making money or growing for the sake of growing. It was also about kind of taking care of the people that worked for him. And so those are some of the, I guess, some of the formative experiences. And, and so as I moved through my career and, and certainly when I looked at the opportunity to start my own business, even though I never thought I would do it, I thought, well, you know, I've learned a lot of things from, um, my, uh, my grandfather over the years. And, and I just, I have this, I just feel like I feel, I feel a little called to do this. And I also feel like I'm, um, and, you know, there's no, you're never really ready to start a business, but I feel like I've got some, something to give. I've got some lessons I've learned that hopefully will prepare me for this. So. Yeah. And you know, this all goes toward being a good and giving leader, uh, are there any other jobs that you might've had along the way that really shaped your, your leadership path? Well, you know, it's kind of ironic. I would say that the jobs I had along the way, while they were really uh, rewarding from a learning standpoint in terms of learning about accounting and learning about business, I'll tell you from a leadership perspective, a lot of them influenced me, I would say in a negative way. Um, And uh, the, you know, I came of age in the late 80s, early 90s in the workplace, and it was much more of a command and control type environment. Um, you know, the idea of things like open book management and um, really bringing people, growing your people and bringing them into, into leadership. I mean, it, it, you know, what I was told uh, throughout uh, through, throughout my, the early jobs in my career was kind of a um, – uh, hey, you know, you're lucky to have this job. And if you, you know, if you don't want to work this weekend, there's probably five people who do that were happy to go higher instead. So it was much more of a kind of a command and control thing. So when I started Venturity, I was kind of wired that way a, a little bit. And so a lot of my leadership journey has honestly been kind of unwiring that, that those early leadership lessons, um, and that, you know, business is, uh, business is not just about, um, you know, performing the function of that business and making money. It's, it also is a tool, can be a tool uh, in the right kind of situation to provide uh, a great life for people that come to work for you and can accomplish a whole lot of other things and have an impact in a whole lot of other ways. But, you know, for me, I was very closed off to um allowing people to see what was going on behind the curtain and, and needed to kind of be that leader that sort of always had the answer and a very traditional leadership role. So a lot of my leadership journey at Venturi, to be honest with you, has been kind of uh, learning how to unwire all of that and, and be a more open, uh, caring leader in that way. So, you know, I think that's a really important message because uh, quite often I notice these command and control leaders and uh 
in other businesses and they uh, they can come off as people that we think are jerks or have a negative impact on the organization and think poorly of them and uh, and then at some point it hit me that that that's really all they know and they were grow they were grown they were experienced and taught in that command and control style and years ago it worked and it achieved results so it's it's very natural and um, but I've always so felt that that there is an opportunity to change and people that are open to change uh, can lead in in what is hopefully a more popular and uh, working way of leading, which is much more collaborative and team focused to, to grow and develop people along the way and, and achieve uh, the same or better results. So uh, at some point you saw the light and and um, and have gone toward it and maybe you had to unravel a few of the things that you learned, but you're seeing the, the results of that, which is really positive. And can, you know, along the way, can you remember a time where you learned something maybe from an unexpected source or in an unexpected way? Uh, yeah, you know what? I'll tell you, I, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I will tell you, I, uh, I can kind of share a, a personal story about kind of a real difficult time. Um, a couple of years ago, it's actually pretty recent, um, uh, we were having – uh, a real we went through some difficult times at Venturity. It just seemed, you know, in business, sometimes things really roll along nicely. And sometimes uh, you get hit with a lot of things at once. It's, it's never, okay, I'm ready for the next crisis. I'll take it. Um, it's five crises come along at once. And so a couple of years ago, uh, we had um, come through a real, uh, a real difficult period where just several things in the business went sideways that we had to fix. And, and I will tell you, you know, I, I lost a, a, one of our significant partners that had helped us grow the business. We lost probably our best salesperson we'd ever had. We had a snafu with our technology that was we were down for a week and it was pretty scary in terms of potentially uh, jeopardizing some client records and stuff. You know, fortunately, all that stuff worked itself out. But I will tell you, at the end of that, I was just really exhausted and I was I was thinking um, really hard about you know, maybe this is the end of my entrepreneurial journey. I've got the ship right and maybe it's time for me to step aside. And maybe I was questioning my own leadership because several things had happened. And, I, and as the leader, you know, you, you probably take responsibility for too much. And, and I thought I thought that you know, I, to my mind, I, you know, this is I'm the, I'm the guy running the company. This is my fault. Um, but, we, you know, we were starting to pull out of it a little bit. But still, I was just I was pretty drained. So, um, but I go camping with my kids a lot and it's kind of that thing from my grandfather, the time that he spent with, with me fishing, I want to do that with my kids, have really one-on-one -on -one time with them. And, um, uh, you know, I'd been, I'd been talking with my wife about potentially selling maturity and, uh, and moving on. And, um, so I, I was going, I was camping with, um, with my, uh, with my daughter, uh, she's 12 now, but at the time she was 10 and we do this great program called High Adventure Treks for Dads and Daughters. And um, it's, it's a, you work together as a dad and daughter team on these camping expeditions to accomplish things together. And it's really fun. And we just get a lot of great one-on-one -on -one time. And the best part is at the end of the day, we go back to the, the tent and we're going to sleep. And that's her favorite part because it's like we, we talk about a lot of things. And so we're sitting there in the dark in our sleeping bags. And out of the blue, she says, um, she said, hey, I heard you. Uh, we're talking to mom about, about selling maturity. 
and I said, um, I said, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, uh, it's, it's been tough the last six, six, 12 months and I'm, I'm really tired. And, and, uh, you know, I just, I don't know, uh, I don't know what the right thing is, but I think it, it might be time. And she said, dad, you can't quit. Uh, she said, life is, is, is like a roller coaster. And this is just one of those like downtimes on the roller coaster and it's going to come back up and you'll come back up. And I just, <laughs> I just, I was, I was speechless. I opened mm. my mouth to say something three or four times and I, I didn't know exactly what to say. And I said, well, I said, I'll think about that. <laughs> Thank you. And, and I will tell you, I, as I look back on that, it was an amazing turning point because, uh, at 10 years old, she was, she was, um, you know, she was really right about that. It was a really great perspective on things. And, and I, as I'm off camping with my daughter, I had no idea that, um, that, that she would come out with that and, and it would have such an impact. And so that was certainly something from an unexpected place. And I, 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 I in fact, we were camping again about three weeks ago and I took a few minutes to thank her for that again and told her what a difference it had made for me and how it had been a real turning point in, in my commitment. I really sort of took her advice to heart and doubled down a little bit and, and, and we pulled through it. But, you know, sometimes in those dark times, you just never know. So. That's, that's just a great story. And, uh, um, you know, I have a daughter 15 and a son 11 and, and, uh, so many lessons learned from them along the way. Um, uh, and that's a big one and one that, um, she'll be able to look back on for years as you will, um, to, to say that, that you, that's really all you needed was probably that message from her to say, you know, it's okay, keep going. And, uh, life is tough at, at some point, but, uh, um, you can do this. And, uh, that's just a, a wonderful story. As you, as you look in your, in your role as, uh, the leader of Venturity now, um, uh, there, I'm sure you've had uh, similar, uh, ups and downs during the course of operating the business on a day-to-day basis. Can you think of a, of a humbling experience you've had in that leadership role? Oh man. Uh, I think I'd have to, <laughs> I, I, I don't know where to begin. It seems like every day you're, you're humbled because you're learning new things. And, um, and I, I think that's what makes the journey great. I, I guess, um, I guess one I can think of off the top of my head is, you know, we had a, uh, we had a, a, a personnel situation where we needed a, a people situation where we needed to, to we're arranged in teams and we had someone who was struggling on one team. So we needed to move them to another team. And, um, you know, no, nothing that's that's particularly unusual. Um, and I had really become open to kind of delegating responsibility for these things to help the leadership team underneath me grow. And so I had asked um, a couple of my partners to handle the situation. And, um, you know, we're very deliberate about kind of how we handle these and we make sure that we talk to everybody involved and get their buy-in. Um, but you know, I don't know that I had coached them properly on that. And so, um, the way they handled the situation, uh, you know, they, they didn't talk to everybody they needed to. And, and rather than getting their buy-in, it was more of an after the, after the fact, telling them what was going to happen. And it really just kind of blew up, um, in, in our face. And, um, it was, it was really difficult and it eventually, um, led to, 
the departure of two of the people involved in it. And and really at our at the heart of it all, it was a good decision, um, but we didn't handle it correctly, and we broke trust. We broke trust with with the people that were involved, and it had a ripple effect throughout throughout the organization. They, they felt they didn't people involved didn't feel respected, and it was um, and and it was I was trying to, to explain to them that this is a good thing that we're doing, but because we handled it so poorly and we apologized profusely for the way that we handled it, but to a great extent it was it was too late because we had broken trust, and so that was. That was in, there were a lot of lessons that I took from that, and it was incredibly humbling. Um, you know, I, I I I really delegated without properly coaching my team on what to do. Um, but you know, I also learned that I guess I knew it anyway. But it sort of reinforced how sacred trust is, and and how easy it is to lose that trust, uh, and how you've really got to kind of go the extra mile in any situation, particularly. Um, uh, when you're handling people issues, to make sure that everybody is respected, uh, and that that because it really is, uh, once you lose that trust, uh, it's it's really difficult. It took us probably two years to really get the trust of the organization back to where it was before that happened, um, and so it, it's it was just an incredibly yeah, an incredibly incredibly humbling experience for me, and and reinforced the need to make sure that that you treat people with respect at all times and that you really, uh, really work hard to, to make sure that you're doing the things to be open and build that trust. You know, that's one of the hardest lessons we all learn in, in business. Trust is everything. And uh, in any relationship, it's very difficult to earn that back and it takes a long time. Is there anything during that couple years that you can think of that you did uh, proactively to earn that trust, uh, you know, uh, during that time? How, how did you get it back? Uh, I think that we had, and earlier in our history, had done a lot in terms of having small focus groups to solicit feedback from our team members, and that had sort of fallen by the wayside. And we'd been growing quickly at that time, and and had fall, and really kind of let a lot of that process slip. So we um, uh, really put that process back in place, where we sit down, we have a um, a small group that kind of is represents various. Aspects of the organization, and have someone obviously, maybe not so obviously, but someone other than me sit in that group and sort of moderate that group and really collect feedback from them, and try and uh, understand what the problems are in the organization with uh, people's work experience and culture, and just try and address those things and, and knock them out one at a time. Another thing that we we did was I did try to sit down with individual team members. Uh, uh, every every week or two, I'd, I'd schedule somebody to sit down with me and just let them know. Look, I, I, if if there's anything that is an issue um, that you know, I want to know how they were doing in their job, how it was going, and I wanted to encourage them if they if they had any concerns or they had anything that they need to talk about, they um, they certainly could talk to me about it, and and I would I would do whatever I could to, to sort of address the situation. You know, it was 
awkward and difficult. And, and, uh, but what I, you know, I, I continually apologize and say, you know, we don't want this kind of situation to happen again. So it's best if we're, we're, we're all open with each other. Um, and we, I had some great conversations out of that and it really helped me grow as a leader and help with my openness. And it was about the time we started to roll out open book management and get, get the team more involved in decision-making within the organization so that they could not only see where they fit into the organization and, and where they can have an impact and where they do have an impact, but also have more of a say in, in kind of what, um, what, where we go and where we're headed and, and what it's going to be like around here every day. Um, you know, I, a lot of it was just time too. just, we made sure that every time we were making a decision, we were as open as possible, um, about why we were making the decision, where we were headed. And it's just part of it was not making the same mistake again. It just took time. And, and, uh, and, but we were very committed to investing that time. And I think more than anything, it was having that soul searching and saying what happened here and how can we not let that happen again? And then how can we be open so that people understand that that was a mistake that we made that we want to try and avoid in the future. I think that's what helped as much as anything, whether it was any of the you know focus groups or anything like that, that we did. So, you know, the two words come to mind, transparency and vulnerability. And you talk about open book management, which is really transparency related to financial results and where, where we are in, in the company. But uh, I think being vulnerable to admit where you guys had gone wrong, um, to seek input along the way, to have ongoing regular conversations and honor that discipline, uh, I'm sure went a long way to regaining trust with people. And um, th- those are great leadership lessons that you learned along the way. You know, what What really strikes me, uh, Chris, is just uh, I think back in, uh, in running my own company, how we had folks, not just in the accounting department, but, uh, you know, I had several CFOs over the years and the CFOs are not necessarily known to be ones that are, uh, thinking about spending money, investing in people (laughs) and, you know, growing careers and, uh, have a little bit of a cynical eye toward culture (laughs) and, you know, the line on there that says how much we're spending on, you know, an event or training. And when things get tough, the first ones to say, well, those are the things we should cut back on. Uh, you, you obviously have seen that the investing in your people, um, can pay off and, and even someone that was as classically trained as you were, um, in finance. Um, what are some of the examples that, um, you can share with our listeners about how, how you do that now? How do you, uh, develop your people? How do you, uh, commit to that, um, career path for them? You know, what are the more practical things that you guys, uh, are doing today? Uh, well, you know, I, I'd say that, uh, commitment that we made really relatively early on was accounting is a technical field. And we as accountants, one of the things that we really enjoy is learning new things. And, um, you know, a lot of, uh, you can, you can go apply your trade in accounting in a lot of different contexts and a lot of different places. And, and there's a lot of opportunity for good accountants. And so, we realized in order to set ourselves apart as, as a place people would want to come to work as an accountant is we need to really be focused on on career development. Um, and just from the beginning, that was a place that we realized we could set ourselves apart. So I'd say the the two aspects that we that we 
that we've put in place over the last few years. Training has been something that's been in place for a, a long time, but we've really doubled down on in the last three or four years. So we have a, a, a new member uh, training manual that has everything that everyone needs to know, but it's also available. We, we've converted that to Kindle so that it's available on their desktop whenever they need it or from anywhere that they need it. And that is interactive and it links to, uh, to, to places information that's all of, that's on our network that's on the internet so that was sort of uh, sort of one of the first things that we did we have that for every level we have it for uh, the uh, the controller level we're in the process of doing it for the assistant controller level um, and and so and we have a um, the person who's growing into the director of training role she does that right now on a part-time basis but she tracks the training for everyone in the organization and makes sure we have every class that we have, who's going to teach it, how it's going to be taught, when it needs to be delivered in the first week, in the first month, within the first 90 days after they start. And we just became very, very deliberate about our training program. And then we have a performance review process that really that really ties back to real career development goals. And our performance review process is not just about tangible things like quantity of work and attendance and punctuality and and uh, yeah, job knowledge and understanding of accounting but it's also about things like um, uh, initiative and follow-through and adaptability um, and particularly at the at the leadership level we've got a separate form for the leaders in our organization there's things like um, working with others and sets the example sets the example is one of my favorite um, and in working with others, if you if you're rated a nine or a ten, it describes like you have a winning personality. Others are drawn to you. So we really we really tell people not only what we're going to rate them on, but what the behaviors look like that a, a, a five, six, or seven, or a seven or eight, or a nine or a ten. And we just take that process very seriously. And we not only talk about what they've done the last year, but we talk about here's the things you need to be thinking about to take the next step in your career. So if you're a staff accountant, what are the things that you need to be thinking about and the, the behaviors that you need to be showing in order to be an assistant controller? And if you're an assistant controller, what do you need to, in order to be a controller? And we tell them, I, I don't, we don't care whether you take that step here or somewhere else. We want to have been a good steward of your career while you're here. We want to grow these things in you because the things we're going to teach you will make you successful wherever you work. We'd love for that to be at maturity, but we know that life happens and, and, and people don't stay in one job for the rest of their career. We want your time here to feel like you've, you've grown and you've learned. I mean, one of our values or passions, as we call them, is lifelong learning, and we really sort of bake that into to everything we do. And, and I think that's... And people can do accounting, as I say, in a lot of different contexts. We're hoping that things like that that we put in place will really, will really help. And, and I'll tell you, the, that idea of they may leave maturity someday, rather than making that a, a thing that nobody talks about, we're actually putting a process where we're in the final stages of developing a process we call career stewardship that sort of hopefully brings all of this together and says, okay, what do you want to accomplish in your career and your life? How can we help you do that? And so we're we're it's in active development. We're going to roll that out in, in 2018 and have active conversations where it's OK to say, hey, I might not be at maturity forever because we know that those things happen. And so let's talk about what you want to accomplish and let's help you get there and not just in accounting, but in your life. You know, what, what goals do you want to have? Let's just 
let's make it a more holistic thing rather than a, I'm going to keep these things to myself and I'll just come in and quit with two weeks notice when I want to go do something else. Let's help you achieve the goals that, that you want to achieve. Let's get them out there on the table. And uh, I'm really excited. That's one of the things that we're, we're rolling out that I'm just, I couldn't be more excited about. So that kind of, those are some ways that we, that we really um, have, have tried to, um, to interact with our team members to really help them grow their career and think about this, just not just, not just as a job, but in the context of a larger career. Well, the reality is not everybody's going to stay with us forever. And when you're open enough to say, we know that, and we're going to invest in you no matter where you go, uh, they're just going to work harder for you. And, and that's really uh, great that you have that discipline in place to help people do it. And uh, to this day, I uh, one of the most fulfilling things for me is to run into somebody on the street that used to work with us and and hear those comments. I was in Whole Foods recently and somebody yelled at me behind the meat counter uh, and uh, it was a guy with a long beard. I didn't even recognize him. And, and, uh, but then when I uh, found out who he was, but you know, before he started the beard, I recalled many great years that he worked in, in my company. And, and, uh, although he was behind the meat counter at Whole Foods, you know, during the day, he, he's a teacher and, uh, I talked about the impact that, uh, we had on his career. And so, uh, I think that's, uh, that's a wonderful thing to know that, that uh, we are there to enhance the lives of the people that work with us, whether it's in in our company or uh, outside our company. And as you look back, Chris, since uh, you know, in the sixteen years or uh, so that you've had your own business, how if you're reflecting back on the hardest decision you've had to make, can you think of a, a good example? Oh, um, yeah, I'll tell you uh, one that. Um, I guess in, in retrospect, probably doesn't seem like a big deal, but at the time it was really difficult. We had a we had a client that was was our our um, I guess our second client that we signed up and grew into uh, one of our largest clients, and at various times was anywhere from ten to twenty percent of our business. Um, and the it was it was a, a client that was. Uh, increasingly they were growing quickly and increasingly consuming a, a larger portion of our resources here and their their culture had evolved away from where i guess it was they were they were going to be a good partner for us and they they probably needed to have an in-house accounting department but for us it was a significant financial decision and a significant financial hit and you know it's funny as i was thinking through it i was i was saying you know how how can we how can we let these guys go as a customer and I was reflecting back to a story my grandfather had told me when we were uh, fishing, one of these fishing stories. And, uh, you know, his he ran a lumber yard, um, but one of his biggest customers um, in the early days was um, was Anheuser-Busch. They bought all the beach uh, for their beechwood aging process for him. And, and, of course, obviously, when I was in high school, I was very, it was a story I told a lot because, hey, my grandfather sells all the beach to, to Anheuser-Busch for their beechwood aging. So it's something I was very proud of. And we were fishing one day and he said, you know, I think I'm going to fire Anheuser-Busch. And I thought to myself and I said to him, I said, how can you, you know, how can you fire them? Like, they're like your biggest client. And he said, well, Chris, I'm spending like 80% of my time now managing that Anheuser-Busch account. And they push prices down so far that I'm not really making any money on it at this point. And so I feel like we'd be better off as an organization without them as a client. 
And I, at the time, I thought he was crazy. And, you know, he ended up following through on that. And I talked to him a, a few years later. And he said, yeah, that was one of the best moves I made. We've been growing again as an organization. And I've kind of gotten my life back at work in terms of being able to focus on my business. And, and so that kind of came back to me. That story kind of came back to me when I was looking at, at firing this client or letting this client go, I guess. You hate to look at it as firing a client, but sometimes that's what's got to happen. We were spending an inordinate amount of time as a management team managing this client. Um, while it was large from a revenue perspective, we weren't making any money on it. And, and, and you know, lo and behold, since we let that client go a number of years ago, we've tripled in size and it really freed us up to start focusing on the business rather than trying to manage this one client. So that was a, it seemed like a really, it was a really hard decision at the time. Um, but in, in reflecting on some of the, some of my experiences from the, the past and, and reflecting on the words of my grandfather, I was like, you know what, he, in a sense, it kind of gave me permission to make that decision. And, and again, it was, it was, it ended up being one of the best decisions we made. Well, it's uh, probably very hard for a finance guy to give up revenue, right? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and what's really uh, amazing is that I'm thinking about the couple of the big biggest lessons you learned were from uh, your grandfather and your ten year old daughter, right? Mm-hmm. Both both yeah. sides, and yeah. that's that's pretty special. So, Chris, yeah. as you look back now and um, and you kind of reflect on leadership overall. Uh, what do you think is the most important quality of a leader? Well, I, I tell you from my perspective, um, the things that have served me well, if nothing else, uh, are probably uh, patience um, and humility. Um, I, I think you, you've got to probably the most important is humility, because if you don't have it, you're going to learn it in a leadership position uh, because you're going to you're going to make mistakes. And and those are going to be some some pretty humbling mistakes and things are going to happen that are beyond your control that you're going to have to quietly sort of work through and figure out. And you're going to have to continually question the things that you do uh, and, and the basic beliefs that you have uh, about the accounting profession in my case and how we do what we do in order to be able to get through the, the, the difficult times. If you're not, if you don't start from a place of humility, or if you start, I guess, let me put it this way, if you start from a place of humility, then it leaves you open to learning. And gosh, I will tell you, this um, this position of, of being the of running a company uh, has been one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had. Just time and again, I've learned I've learned over and over how little I know, and um, but by by coming at it from that perspective, it's allowed me to be open to new experiences, um, like different ways to manage, like um, different ways to relate to people, and being more open. And I've realized that actually those things were always in my heart, but I was trained early in my career to to close those things off. But being humble and being open to change, and and I just I, I'll tell you, I just feel I just feel lucky uh, to be able to be in this position every day. And I, I take the attitude, uh, just like, just like when you work for someone else, uh, you want to, you know, that you've got to earn that right to kind of have that job. Uh, you've got to contribute. And, and I will tell you, even though I'm the CEO and in, in theory, I can't be fired. Um, I, I come in with an attitude every day that I need to earn the right to continue to be the managing partner or 
president or whatever you call my role in this company, I have to continue to grow and stay out ahead of my team and, and my growth and, and continue to learn new skills and be open to new experiences so that I can continue to grow and earn the right to come to work every day. Because even though I can't, quote, be fired, my team can fire me. Uh, they can they can you know, uh, lose faith in me. They can leave Venturity. So in a sense, when someone leaves Venturity, in a sense, they're firing Venturity to a certain extent, uh, particularly if they're dissatisfied with their experience here. So I think, I think having that, that humility uh, is really foundational, um, and, and, and I think it opens you up to so many new experiences. And then I think you know, the other thing is, is, is patience. I, I really have to be kind of the steady hand at the wheel um, when there's a lot when things go wrong uh, and we go through difficult times. Um, it's hard, but uh, I've, I've got to kind of set the tone that we'll work through this. And even when sometimes in your head you're like, you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, I'm not sure what we're going to do here. Um, you, you've got to have that patience and you've got to be the steady hand at the wheel. Um, and, and so I think those are the things that, um, that I think as you think about leadership, uh, as I think about leadership and the things that have served me well, uh, those have been the most helpful for me. So. Well, I don't think there's any question you've become a, a very humble and patient leader. Um, now, if somebody were just starting his or her career out and uh, said, Chris, I, I want to be like you. I want to uh, follow your, your path. What kind of advice would you give them? I tell them, don't do it. <laughs> 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 no, it's, you know, it, it, I would tell them, look, it's, it can be one of the most um, uh, difficult, but also one of the most rewarding experiences and will will help you to, it will, if you're open to it and, and you approach it from a standpoint of, of not knowing everything, uh, you will learn an amazing amount and grow incredibly as a human being. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be one of the big pieces um, is just staying humble and staying open to learning. And, and you know, another thing I, I tell people um, is uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, what does it take to be a successful entrepreneur? Um, and a lot of people think it's a, a great idea or access to capital or good with people or charismatic. And, and I will tell you that uh, what I tell people is, look, if you're going to start your own business, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, the first thing you need is an understanding and supportive spouse. Because if you don't have that, your entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey is gonna be over almost before it starts. Because there's gonna be some tough times. And I will tell you, my spouse during some very tough times has never wavered in her support. She's a much better person than I am. She's one of the best people I know and has been there uh, really through everything, through the most difficult times, through uh, you know times when I've, when I've been um, a babbling, crying mess, and she's helped me get through a lot of this stuff. And, and her confidence in me has, has really helped me get through everything. And if, if you don't have that, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs that um, the, the spouse is not necessarily on board with the entrepreneurial journey. And as soon as it gets tough, that entrepreneurial journey is, is over. The person needs to go get a job to support the lifestyle. And so, so I just, uh, I will tell you, that's, that's what I would tell people. You've got to have, uh, it's really, it's really important and really helpful to have a supportive understanding a life partner, uh, behind you because it makes a huge, huge difference. No question. Shout out to all the husbands, wives, significant others that uh, allow us to go down this path. 
they make a huge difference. That's that's really great. Um, wonderful story, Chris. I, I want to end with just a, a quick association game and just throw out a, a few questions and maybe just share the first thing that comes to your mind, all right? Okay, uh, sounds so, good. Yeah. All right, so first name a famous leader you look up to. Oh, uh, that's actually a pretty easy one. Martin Luther King. I, whenever I'm in D.C., I go I go visit him in his memorial, and he uh, he speaks to me. I, I, in fact, I was I was there this summer and was reminded of a uh, of a great quote. Uh, the something along the lines of the ultimate measure of a man is is not kind of where he stands when things uh, are are easy in moments of kind of convenience and comfort, uh, but where he stands in times of, of challenge and controversy and. and uh, gosh, that, that one and kind of looking back on my leadership career really kind of kind of hit me. But but so many others, uh, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Just an incredible leader. So, um, yeah, that's that's one I look up to for sure. Oh, that's a great one. How about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Uh, you know, actually, uh, pretty recently, uh, all of Ari Weinswag's, uh, Weinswag's books of uh, you know, he's the, the found one of the founders of of Zingerman's Deli in Ann Arbor, and he's got a whole series of leadership, uh, lapsed anarchist guides to leadership and running a business and, and managing ourselves. And I would say managing ourselves was probably a real formative book for me that he released a few years ago. So, uh, but all of his books have really helped me, I guess, help reinforce some things that were in me, but reminded me of, of, uh, a lot of different aspects of staying humble and, and uh, the focus on, on people and culture. And so they've been hugely influential in helping me make that transitional that transition from being more of a command and control kind of leader to being, as Ari would say, hopefully a more progressive type leader. I don't, I don't know what the right word for it is, but, but open and vulnerable and, and, and honest, I hope. So. Yeah, well, Ari's got a great message, and uh, I happen to have uh, been in his deli last week and had a wonderful Reuben sandwich. Oh, so, so, uh, so good. So good. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, how about your all-time favorite movie? Uh, oh, uh, it's a Wonderful Life. Uh, you know, I love, um, I love. It. I watched that actually when I was in college. I was a little late to that movie, but uh, seeing George Bailey and the struggles that he had, I think the um, the, the Bailey building alone is almost the original small giant, if you will. He, he, uh, he had all these big plans that he was going to go uh, do great things. And what he realized through the journey of that movie was he was doing great things in a, in a humble way, um, you know, there in, in his hometown and, and, and put aside a lot of financial goals in order to do the right thing uh, by people. And so I think, you know, he was kind of a very progressive leader, uh, early on. And, and, uh, even though it was a, obviously a, a fictitious tale, it was very inspirational. Uh, and so I, I just, I get it. I, I really, I go back and watch that movie every once in a while to kind of remind me of our, of, of kind of a sense of purpose. He had a really, really strong sense of purpose. So. It's a great story. Yeah. And All I actually right. have, uh, actually have one other that I'll say is a guilty pleasure. Uh, and that's Raising Arizona. So <laughs> oh, I love that movie. Hilarious movie. <laughs> that's a good one. All right. So now you're uh, stranded on an island. You get to take one thing with you. What would it be? You know, I've heard you ask this on other pods. Uh, that, and when I listen, I, I just I, I'm not a thing guy. I, I you know, like I, I, I've, I've tried to think of what that one thing would be. And, I, you know, 
Uh, I, I still don't have it. I, I'd say um, if it's not cheating, I'd probably say my iPad because just of the access to if I was stranded by myself, I'd ha- have access to books and um, uh, be able to kind of continue to learn and, and uh, uh, continue to grow. And so for me, you know, it's it's not about access to email or the outside world as much as just be, being able to, to read. And then I think Probably uh, my fishing equipment. Might be the <laughs> yeah, and in your case, I think you want to take your wife with you too. She sounds pretty yeah, special. Yeah, well, you know, um, if it's if it's a thing, uh, you know, obviously, I, I, my my wife is it, not a thing, but yeah, certainly, I'd I'd love to have her. And my yeah. Kids. Yeah. All right, and lastly, um, what's something about you that people, maybe even people close to you, don't know? Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, my first job was working for a, a defunct pro football team in Memphis, Tennessee, in the United States Football League called the Memphis Showboats. <laughs> so I was a <laughs> I was a, I was a gopher for them, and, uh, and and was just a very shy kid and very clueless, but had a great time in that job, and uh, uh, just learned a lot about kind of what it meant to have a job then. But anyway, so. I worked for a defunct pro football team in Memphis in, in the early 80s. How about that? I like that. A very proud moment. Um, well, Chris, this has been great. I, I, I've taken a bunch of notes of things that uh, I think really stand out as takeaways for our listeners. I think uh, realizing what business is about is a big one. And business isn't really even about the product or service, but it is about helping train and develop people. And, and that just something that you felt early on and experienced, you have wanted to pass that on to others. You're clearly making a big impact there. You think about the lessons that we learn and where we learn them from a uh, great lesson from your grandfather about stewardship, a great lesson from your daughter about sticking with it. Um, the idea that, that, people can change, that that you were historically trained as a of an accountant, a finance guy, and might have been perfectly happy just making a living doing that, um, but realize that the command and control style of leadership wasn't fulfilling to you, uh, and you were willing to be open to changing that style, and you have spent these last you know, 16 years in your own business, uh, unlearning, uh, what you were, uh, what you learned to do. So I think that should give people lots of courage. Uh, I'm still working you know, on it. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's <laughs> a never ending journey. And the fact that, uh, uh, trust is the most important thing in business and, or any relationship. And when it's lost, um, it takes a long time to earn back, but when you do earn it back and it could be stronger than ever. And it's worth that journey. And, uh, and that no matter uh, what business you're in, you can invest in your in your people. And I think what you've done, and is this is sort of goes, I think, to the con- your conservative nature, is that you've made the investment in people a discipline, a process. It's not just something we believe. It's not some, something we just talk about. It's the way you live, and you put programs in place to make sure that even during tough times, you are committed to. Uh, to growing your people. So uh, congratulations on on the journey so far. I know there's much left to, to go in the future and um, I wish you uh, continued success, but thank you very much for, for uh, joining me on the podcast and, uh, and, and giving people the courage to really follow, uh, follow their dreams just like you have uh, been able to do. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I, I've, I've just, I've been very fortunate with the folks around me and, and, and they're the ones that really are, 
are making it happen every day. And I, I just thank you for the opportunity to do this. I, I've admired your work for a long time, and, and we've learned a lot from the folks in your organization. We've networked with, uh, with, with some of your management team over the years, and they've They've taught us a lot as well. So just just really honored to have the opportunity and humbled to to be to be a part of it. Um, and hopefully some hopefully some folks learn some things from from the lessons I've had over the years. Well, that's what the, the community is about. Uh, what Small Giants is about is that we want to just learn and grow from each other. People that are doing it uh, and going through the same things we're going through. So thank you very much for being on. Uh, Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. Until next time.